are now recording. I'm Jonathan Dixon. I'm here with Grandma Artagene Christensen. Say hello, Grandma. Hello, Grandma. We're here on the My Family Her Story podcast, and it is June 30th, 2021. Our goal here is to preserve in podcast form stories and memories for future generations and to have a good time. Today we're talking about your life in the late 1960s. Last time we talked about the early 1960s and your world travels. Uh, But today we're talking about the late 1960s, which was a tumultuous time in history. Um, More on that later. Uh, But you were at this point raising the family, building the business. Don got involved in in, uh, church government. Uh, Leadership is a better way of saying that. Um, So, uh, yeah, tell us more about life for you and Don in 1960s, uh, 65, 6, 7, 8, and 9. Well, my, my husband Don was a counselor in the ward bishopric during the time that we were building the, the ward building. And we basically dived into that busyness and and were involved in it all the time day by day it was and then in 1960 that that building was built in 1964 about the same time that our baby Rachel was born and so she kind of is the same age as a, as the church house how would you like to use that for your for your measurement of when you were born, <laughs> how old you are? Anyway, uh, then in 1966, he was made the bishop of the ward, and so we had more responsibility, more involvement. And Don was a very energetic and active bishop, and our children were growing up, and he made sure as a bishop that the youth were involved in all kinds of things. Your so children, the youth, children, or like the youth? Our children and all the, all the children in the ward. So our children and, and the ward children young people were all involved with this new bishop who was, as I said, very energetic. And and so a lot of the things that we did, just our family things were sort of centered in the ward and in the ward activities. Yeah, you were, uh, before we started recording, you had mentioned, you said, you know, when I say we raised our kids in the church, I literally mean we raised them in the church building. We were there so often. <laughs> right. In, inside the church. <laughs> inside the building of the church is where you raised your kids. Yeah. So anyway, there was a lot of, a lot of the things that we did um, as family were the church things. But I'll, I'll give you a few illustrations of, of some of those things. Um, we had we had this nice field out behind our 
out behind our house. We still, we still have this nice field, but we had ward activities out there. We, a, a couple of different years, we had what we called a carnival, and they built, they built a whole series of booths out there, and and uh, we had all kinds of, all kinds of activities going on in in the booths. Uh, the whole ward turned out and and played their games and and did all the fun things in the ward carnival. First of all, you know, you have to build the ward carnival, then you have to participate in the games and all the fun. Then you have to tear it down and take it home. <laughs> anyway, that was we did that a couple of years. One one of those years, uh, one of the activities was that they turned loose a greased pig in the in the field and that meant the pig was literally greased and the joy of the activity was that everybody got to chase the pig, see who could grab that pig and catch it, and it was greased, so it was hard to catch. It could slip right through their arms and their hands. Anyway, that was a fun activity. The winner of the greased pig activity was the one who caught the pig, and they got to keep it. <laughs> <laughs> my mom, that obviously made an impression on my mom, who would have been between 10 and 15 at this time, because she told me that story when I was a kid, Yeah, going to a ward party in her childhood, and, and literally having a, a slick pig running around, and people <laughs> falling in the mud trying to catch trying it. Trying to catch it. <laughs> if you catch it, you get bacon. <laughs> Or a nice pet, I don't know. <laughs> that was that was just that's just one example, and I don't know if it was that same day or if it was another another carnival in the field. But one of the ward members was just in almost in hysterics because we were having this activity out of doors, and this amazing thing was going on in the sky on that same particular day, there was an eclipse of the sun. Whoa. And somehow he felt like that if we were outdoors and there was an eclipse of the sun, somebody was surely going to look at the sun and go blind because they wanted to look at the sun. <laughs> was it was it like a total eclipse like we had a couple years ago or was it like a mostly eclipse. I can't remember that specifically at this time how how total the eclipse was. I don't remember that. But I thought that this person was being a little over dramatic about it because I thought that the people were smart enough not to look at the sun with their bare eyes and and we did have we did have little ways that we could that we could look at the eclipse through a, through a, we look we would look through at through a, a dark negative that only that you could look through and shield your eyes or you could look through 
there were some other ways, dark glasses, other ways that you could look and see the eclipse of the sun without damaging your eyes. But anyway, that's just one thing that I remember about that particular year, and I, I don't, I couldn't tell you which year that was, but, but I remember this one person, he was staying inside his house, and he wasn't, he thought it was just awful that we were having a big old party outside. <laughs> Most of the people were just busy with the party and not thinking about the eclipse of the sun. Mm-hmm. So, at this point, your children are spread between newborn and um, by the end of the by the end of the decade, fifteen years old. Yeah. What um, what was raising children like in the sixties? Like children, not just babies, like you had in the fifties, but but like full-on children. What was that like in the 60s? Well, we tried to we tried to get our children to be involved in as many activities as we could to well, to help their education and their learning of about life and society and so on all those things you want your children to learn and also to keep them busy with good things because there was so much going on in society that was being hard. Uh, those years were a transformation from, I don't know from what I would call it, but from the old style life to, to the, I don't know, there was a, cultural revolution going on of sorts and many people were being many of the young people were being led away to become hippies and and drug addicts and and many things like that were coming into the society which we had never had before uh, I mean not like we had never had those things but they had not been in our in our right in our own lives. They had not been uh, in our own society and in our own neighborhoods and so on, and, and all of that was coming on. So we tried really hard to keep our kids busy uh, with good things and so that they would stay, uh, stay involved in good stuff and, and not get wandering off into some of these uh, temptation paths. So I had I had the 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 young girls in 4-H uh, uh, classes, and 4-H is a I suppose it's still in operation somewhere in the world in the United States, but but it was a it was a national organization and you could have your own little chapters in your own neighborhoods. But uh, the 4-H's stood for, let's see if I can remember, head, hands, heart, and health. And so we, we tried to teach children in their, with activities that involved their minds, their heads, 
their hands, all kinds of activities in which they made things. They did sewing projects. They did little painting projects. They, they made waste baskets for their bedrooms and they made uh, tablecloths for the for their uh, for the kitchens and and they made um, food we they they learned how to cook and these were these were the girls that's who I had at, at those ages at that time and then they could take in the in the fall they could take their the things they had made and take them to the county fair and and put them in competition and get um, get uh, awards for for how how well they did with their with the things that they made and you could have any kind of a you could have any kind of a project. There were many, many kinds of projects you could engage in, and uh, and all of those were were judged at the county fair, along with along with other 4-H members, and also along with with anybody who wanted to put their put their produce from their garden or or their handiwork or their animals that they raised on the farm, pigs and sheep and goats and bunnies and all kinds of things like that. So anyway, these kind of activities were very were very attractive to our our kids and I felt like that they those kind of things were keeping them busy, keeping them uh, involved in something good and we and those those groups had uh, had service projects that they would do, like just one example, going along the sides of the road and picking up trash. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, these are little kids, so you know these kind of these kind of projects. But they were good for them and helped them to learn citizenship and and skills and things like that. So we we would meet with the girls. Uh, weekly and and have activities that they could could do and then uh, work on their work on their projects and like that. So that kept them busy all summer during when the, when school was out. They that kept them busy and so we also. I, I, I just love I just loved learning, and so when the kids were in school and they had projects that they had to work on, I loved to get my hands right in with them and work on whatever they were help help them along, and learn the things that they were learning in those in those activities in those classes, and I thought that that was great sport and I enjoyed that a lot so I got involved in what they were doing at school as well quite a bit. There was a little time when when we made 
I've been trying for a while to remember which which uh, program we put on. I don't know. It may have been it may have been like the Wizard of Oz, or it may have been uh, uh, Alice in Wonderland, but some some story that the that they were all familiar with, and and our kids made um, our kids, my own children, made puppets and put on this program in in their class in school, and the each each of the each of the kids wanted to put it on in their own classrooms. So we did, and then we got invited to a few other places, other classrooms, and even some other schools for a few times to put on that puppet show. And I wish that it would come back in my mind so I could remember for sure which, which of the fairy tales or whatever that we, that we put on, but the kids loved that. It was a great activity for them and we built a little we built a little stage with curtains and and they could stand behind there and the curtain would be drawn then and then they could put on their little put make their little puppets put on the performance so that was just one one other thing we just we just got involved in a lot of things and did did with the children what the what we felt like would keep them busy and happy and interested in learning and those kind of things it took quite a bit of effort but it was way worth it for the things that we the things that we participated in on the 4th of July I would dress the kids up in costumes and make a little a little float sort of a sort of a thing there was a a children's parade that was put on at the at the Lions Club Park in uh, on well I can I was going to tell you right where it is but it's around 20 around 23rd east and maybe 35th south something in that neighborhood anyway they would put on on the 4th of july they would put on this parade and so i would dress our kids up and we'd maybe pull a wagon or some way we'd put on put on some programs put on some what I'm trying to say is put on a theme and and be in and be in that children's parade and that was that was fun that went on even at clear up until till we we had Ruthie reason I mentioned that is because Ruthie was born on the third of July and like this year 
that one year, the when Ruthie was maybe three years old, the 4th of July came on a Sunday. So they had, they actually had the children's parade and the, and the activities at the park were held on Saturday the 3rd. And so we dressed Ruthie up as the Statue of Liberty and she was, she rode in the wagon and she had a little sign there that said, it's my birthday. <laughs> and that kind of represented two things, like it's the birthday of the United States of America, and it's also my birthday because it happened to be on the 3rd of July, which was her birthday. And that was her first day alive? She was, like, was that her birthday birthday? Like, you had her that day? Not not on that yeah, she was she was born on that day. Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Me? Yeah, she was born on the third of July. Was she in the cart as a one year old or as a zero no, day maybe, old? Maybe a three year old. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. And what year was Ruth born? Uh, nine. This was later. She was born in 1973. Okay, cool. But. Uh, but still, a very fun, very fun but story. But this was just a a continuation of what we'd been doing for 10 years or more because we always put the little kids in this put, we always dressed our kids up and put them in this parade some theme or another the one that w whatever we could think of that we thought would be clever sometimes they were pioneers and sometimes they were they uh, one time we one time I made a whole flock of seagulls out of out of construction paper, uh, out of poster paper. And these seagulls were pretty realistic looking and when the kids carried them on a stick. And their wings could their bounce. Their wings would flap up and down. And, and they looked pretty realistic. I thought it was quite a good little program. So anyway, this was to represent the time when, when the seagulls came and saved the pioneers. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they ate all the uh, ate all the all the locusts and dropped them in the Great Salt Lake. Right, you got it. They anyway, we we usually tried to get some kind of a patriotic theme or a pioneer theme to go in the parade, and and the kids loved loved it. They loved to get dressed up and be be something or somebody important like that. So we did that kind of thing almost every year for all while they all while they were growing up mm -hmm. but these these kind of things were pretty pretty general as a reminder for the people listening uh at this point how many kids did you have and what were their names well Jeannie is the oldest Jeannie was born in 55 so by 65 she was around she was nine when Ruthie Rachel was born, and uh, so, and then and then Jolene was just a year younger than her. She was born in fifty six, so uh, by sixty six, Jolene would be ten. Jean would be eleven. Mary would be 
nine and then Martin Martin was two years younger than Mary so he would be seven and Evan would be five and like like that in in 66 and then then we had Rachel who was born in 64 so she would have been two like that so that's that's the ages they're just coming they're just emerging into into uh, puberty and the, the older girls and all this upheavals going on in the world and we want these kids to stay innocent clean and pure <laughs> and so we're doing we're just being involved in all the good things we could think of to be involved in but heavily involved in them not just oh that's interesting or that's nice you know we get in and do these things and that was that was what how i felt like that we that we managed to bring our kids through these troublesome years without without losing them to these pro problems that were showing up in society and this that that leads really well into and it partially answers uh my next question um how was your experience of raising children do you think different from your parents experience of raising children and possibly their parents experience of raising children yeah I don't I don't know too much about what I what I've been able to learn about my grandparents and the way they raised children it was more like <clears throat> with them a matter of survival those kids had to for just <clears throat> for a small example they tell the story of my of my grandfather and his and his two brothers were were sent with the with a, a team and wagon up the canyon to gather dead wood firewood so that they would have something so they would have fuel to burn and to make their fires to cook their food to make to make it warm inside the house so that these these two these little kids were sent up with a team and a wagon to gather this firewood when they were five and six years old and they were just by themselves they knew what they had to do they had to drive the team, they had to load the wagon, they had to gather up all this stuff and come back home. Well, I'll tell you just that little, that little funny little story. Uh, while, the, while these little kids were busily doing their chore, which I think is kind of an amazing chore for six-year-old child to be doing so while these six years old six-year-olds were driving a wagon with a horse yeah. into a canyon alone 
and they were they had each had an axe and they were chopping they were chopping up some of these uh, dead trees or or underbrush whatever they were gathering to put in on for fuel and they they were uh, and an Indian approached them well these were the days when when the Indian skirmishes with the Indians were present and very real and very frightening. The, these boys had no idea about the 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 history with the uh, this. this I guess it wasn't history at that point. It was a, is a, a real and present conflict? Yes, it was very definitely. My my grandmother's father was actually killed by the Indians. So your great grandfather. I have your family tree here pulled up. Yeah. Uh, do you remember which grandmother? Yes, grandmother Pauline Larson. Pauline Larson. So that would have been Jens Larson. Right. Jens Larson was actually killed by the Indians. So you know, these things are real. The children know about these things. It's very frightening to to have, but this Indian wasn't apparently was friendly, and but they didn't know that. They just knew he was an Indian. They were scared to death, and and uh, the next day in town, this Indian happened to be there. Well, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't speak much English, but he saw these two little boys again and recognized them. And so he tells the story by his own, his own, uh, just actions with his with his hands and with his with his mouth, uh, saying just a, the few words of English that he knew. He's he points to the two boys, and he indicates this brother. He chop 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 chop, and he moves his hands up and down, showing that he was chopping the wood. And this brother, boo hoo 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 hoo, he was just crying. <laughs> and <laughs> and that and that was. Uh... That would have been my grandfather Jacob Dastrup. Was he was he chopping or crying? He was crying, <laughs> <laughs> and his brother was chopping. <laughs> anyway, that's a little my, bit. Of, my my great great grandfather Jacob Dastrup. Yeah. He was he was he was the crier. He was five, and his brother was six. <laughs> it's a world of difference, I suppose. But that's just an illustration about what you had to do to raise children in the days of my great my grandparents and great grandparents mm-hmm. when my grandparents were children. Those kids had to do these chores. They had to because it was survival. Somebody had to bring in that firewood so they'd be warm in the winter. It's it's amazing because cause my distance to you 
is what we're going over in this podcast. My distance to my grandma is like when you were a child, it was the it was the 30s. And your dis but like that same jump, we're we're back into like the well, some of these guys Jens Larsen, who we just talked about, who who was killed by the the natives, was born in eighteen thirty eight. That's that's uh, it's a different world. <laughs> it's yeah, like surely, and and so when you're talking about how things were different and how things were the same, <laughs> none of my children had to be faced with the idea of starvation or or cold unheated building to live in in the winter because so they didn't have to do these kind of chores they didn't have to even learn those those kind of lessons the, the it was a whole different different thing but then when my parents were growing up they were pretty well established. And then when we were growing up, we had these other kinds of problems come along, like the Great Depression and the Second World War and things like that. And the that, First World War, just before your time. <laughs> yeah, before my time. Well, anyway, these things, there was a different set of of needs. And then when... My children were growing up. We were in a time of of uh, plenty in regard to food, clothing, and shelter, entertainment, uh, all the things, all good things of of life were were ours. We had we had what we needed, but this this kind of little revolution in which they were fighting against anything that was the establishment they thought that everybody was saying that that was bad and that anything that any any uh, values that we may have had in those days were outdated and and were no no longer to be considered and so on those were the things that we were facing that were the real struggles for us because because we had the material things we had food clothing and shelter all that we needed but but we we were faced with this idea about maintaining the the traditional morality that that we wanted them to have and and it but it was changing and it was hard to it was hard to keep that going so that's the big difference that i see we we weren't having those issues about putting bread on the table as much as my parents, my grandparents, any of the any of those yeah, other for, generations. For your grandparents, it was let's stay alive. Yeah. Because we have family, like immediate family members dying of starvation and, uh, like, attack. Yeah. And uh, the for your parents, it was uh, it was a little bit less. Let's stay alive and more. Let's uh, 
build up, I guess. Is that is that a way of saying it? Or was it still a little bit more of the the stay alive for your parents? Well, the the it wasn't exactly stay alive for us. We we had with our, with hard work we were able to have the food that we needed and like that, but we had in those days I like to say we had everything but money. Yeah, you mentioned that in, in yeah. uh, when we talked about your childhood. Everything but money. Everything but money. But but the values they were in the whole society. They weren't they weren't just in our church or just in our family. Those values were in the whole society and everybody was expected to behave in these certain ways. And and they basically did. And then, but then in the 60s, when our children were growing up, it was, a, it was a time of trying to discard all the old values. But they still, the values still then and still today mean very much to us. They're very, very important to us. And they're under attack. The values are, un- they're still under attack. But... Uh, with effort, we were able to to keep the children on the right track and teach them these important things and still have a lot of fun along the way <laughs> by these by these activities that I've been describing. Very but, active parenting sounds like oh, like yeah, we were active parents. <laughs> But it was it required that of us in the in in that period of time to do all that in order to keep our families uh, going. And and Don is the bishop in the ward. Going back to my original discussion, had so many activities involving the kids for the same purpose for the with the whole ward trying to keep these kids involved in doing something good. We had lots of service projects, and they had, Don would take the the young men out uh, in the West Desert to shoot their guns in the, and that was a good activity that they enjoyed, and they would, they would, take them horseback riding. They would, of course, we had the Boy Scouts and they did all of that kind of thing, camping and, and learning all kinds of trades and, and uh, activities in the Boy Scouts. And that was a wonderful, that was a wonderful program. And, but we worked hard to keep the kids involved and active in good things so that so that their minds would be would be involved in good rather than in evil, mm-hmm. which was around us everywhere. <laughs> yeah, in a similar vein, um, but kind of different. My next question is is about um, generally how life was in the '60s versus the '50s. Uh, and if you felt like there was a big difference between the two. 
Well, these things that I've been trying to mention were the biggest difference. The, the. We had our next door neighbor went left home about the time he left high school and and just went and became became a wanderer, became a hippie, and and was just out doing drugs and and not responsive to anybody and but there were a lot of people that that got into these circumstances and so these were kind of the things that we were trying to the money side of things was easier yeah don was more established as a builder and owner and yeah, and, uh, we were we had we had the finances that we needed in order to have a a pleasant life, and we did have. We took the kids on, we took the kids on trips. We took them down to. You mentioned a couple episodes ago that you took them to Disneyland. Yeah. Uh, during this time period. Yeah, we did, and we took them to. We took them all to Hawaii one time. That was a fun trip. Wow. I haven't been to Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that we we did we did that. We took the kids uh, to Yellowstone. We took them to. One time we <clears throat> took in our heads to go to California, to the to the Rose Bowl parade on New Year's Day, and and so we just. We got tickets and we all boarded the train and and rode overnight and got to California the next morning and we're in a hotel and then we went to the Rose Bowl parade which was all made out of all the floats were made out of roses it was a beautiful 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 sight but that was just another thing we did with the kids and like that so we were able to to give them experiences like these the money thing was not the issue with it, it seemed to me like in those days the issue was teaching them and keeping them in the traditional values because in the 50s i remember you talked a lot about how uh you guys what you got down to like a can of soup once in when you were living on base in in South Carolina, yeah. Um, so money was a lot more tight in the fifties, but in the sixties, you'd you'd put in the work, you were built up. Um, now it was just a a matter of you know. Parenting the children. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um. In the fifties and the sixties, or sorry, just in the in the sixties, um. This is a time when a lot of the nation is is just beginning to tune in. When did you and your family first get a television? Well, we our our first television was when the this was maybe before Martin was born or about the time he was born. Because I remember those three little girls sitting there together in one big, one overstuffed chair, and all three girls sitting there, 
staring at that new TV that we had. Was it one of the little ones? Yeah, oh yeah. And it was black and white, of course. They didn't have color yet. And anyway, that was that was a new thing for us. And, and we all hoped that that would be a really wonderful thing, and it was. But after a while, then you had to start. By the time these kids were 10, then you had to start monitoring what they saw on television like that. So... So everything that's good has its ba- downside. And <laughs> what do they say? All good things will come to an end or something? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, uh, active parenting was not a, not a buzzword, but it was certainly an activity that we that we did and and made a, made every effort to make life pleasant if we went on a road trip we always we always drove past whatever temple might be in the area where we where we were so that the kids got the feeling of the temple and being this we put pictures of temples in all the ki- in every kid's bedroom we put pictures of Jesus in everybody's all over the house and things like that to to keep to keep the the moral values uppermost in in the kids minds at all times when you were growing up was it common to have lots of pictures of temples and 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 Jesus in the house no we had we in my where where I was growing up, we had some nice pictures in the house, but they didn't make an issue of that about making sure that every kid had pictures in in their room, you know, and around them. But we did have. My father had a beautiful painting of of the angel Moroni bringing the gold plates to Joseph Smith. A beautiful, beautiful painting that hung over his desk, and so we saw that every single day of our lives. And they had, they had nice pictures of Jesus. I remember specifically one that that my father liked very much was a picture of Jesus in the temple teaching the teaching the Pharisees when he was just a twelve-year-old boy. And that meant a lot to my father, and he had that, and like that. So it wasn't that we didn't have those things, but they didn't make as big an issue of it in those times as they did, as we tried to do later on when, when we were fighting a different battle with our, with what was going on with our kids, trying to, trying to make sure that, that they. We discussed all those things a lot, and we—that's when we started having family home evening, and we'd we'd all gather around and and study those lessons. And the church used to put out manuals, and oh, they had wonderful lessons in there for for our kids, you know, that we would teach them in family home evening. It's funny because uh, on my mission, I found in one of our mission apartments 
uh, old, probably from the 60s or 70s family home evening manual, and I actually used it uh, to to uh, host a family home evening for one of the families we were teaching. So, yeah. so the, they were nice manuals because even even uh, <laughs> more than half a century later, when I found them, I thought they were good enough to use. Sure, and they are because those messages are timely. They're still they'd still be good enough to use. <laughs> So next time we meet, we're going to sort of have an overview of the 60s um, covering big topics like the the Vietnam War, uh, civil rights, um, John F. Kennedy, his brother, and Martin Luther King's uh, assassinations, Um, moon landing. Actually, the the moon landing is going to get its own episode, but... um, it was truly like you're describing a very uh, chaotic is the word I'm going to choose time, yeah. um, which, you know, it can feel that way today in coming out of 2020 going into 21. Um, what advice do you have for uh, parents of children and teenagers who want to raise their kids good? and uh, might be facing a world that seems like the one you felt like you were facing. Yeah. Well, the most important thing is to be focused on the most important thing. <laughs> the, the thing is to have, to have the, have your priorities and and to just stick with it to make make no matter what else is going on in the world first of all you're having first of all you're you're teaching at all moments of your life you're always teaching whether you think you are or not your children are observing you and they are learning to do whatever you are doing. So remember that you have to teach. Remember that you want to make it happy. So you're not going to lecture your kids all the time. You're not going to browbeat your kids. Those things are not the way to get the kids to do what you want them to do. Make it happy. Find the joy. Express the joy express your feelings of of satisfaction and happiness with the life that you're living and the life you want them to live make them feel like it's worth it those are the those are i just think that that's the way that's the answer that's the way to make it all come about I wanted to tell just a little short incident. Oh, absolutely. That uh, Don used to take, when he was bishop, he would take a carload of people to the temple. And then after the temple, he would take them to a restaurant to have dinner together. And these widows that he, a couple of these widows that he would take, felt like 
they didn't have enough money to do that. So they, this one dear sister said, well, you all just go in and eat and I'll sit out here and, and wait until and when you're done and then we'll all go home together and I won't mind that. You just go ahead and do that because I can't afford it. I don't have enough money. And so Brother Christensen, the bishop, takes her and another older sister by the arm and he says, all people over the age of 50 eat free. <laughs> and he takes them in and course pays for their meal <laughs> that must have been a habit he kept because i remember grandpa doing that all the time yeah just just didn't want anyone to feel burdened or uh sort of not included so he's like the tabs on me yeah always he that was what he always did and and just make people feel good about what they're doing, you know. I really like what you mentioned about uh, teaching your children that it's worth it. Like, like living life is worth it and things are going to be okay. Because that's one of the markers of, of my generation is just really high anxiety and depression. And, and feeling like it's not worth it. And feeling like the world is ending. And uh, I think that... Uh, I, I just really like what you said there about about intentionally speaking joy to your children and, and trying to fill them with joy and happiness and, and the feeling that it is worth it. It is uh, worth it. And that's, I think, I think you're right on that. And today's, this particular generation, if they can just understand this one thing that we are kind of in the last days and people are talking about that, but it's not a doomsday idea. The last days doesn't mean that the world is going to end because we're going to go on. The last days just means that, not to be didactic here, but <laughs> the last days means that the time of wickedness is going to end. The world isn't going to end. The, the bad stuff is going to end. The world itself is going to go on, and we will still be, we'll still be raising families. We'll still be having children. We'll still be, we'll still be doing the things that need to be done to make a to make a happy life. What's going to end is the wickedness. So just get on board. That's what the brethren keep telling us don't jump ship <laughs> get on board and stay on board and don't worry about it because it's not going to be awful it's going to be joyous and wonderful it reminds me of a, uh, a quote from one of my wife's favorite movies the the best exotic marigold hotel uh everything will be all right and in in the end and if it's not yet all right, then it's not yet the end. Oh, that's neat. That's neat. I haven't heard that one, but that's good. That's how I feel about things. I just, I just feel, just wait. Just hang on. Keep doing what you, what's good, what's right. Keep doing the right thing, and things will come around. They will be good in the end. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you, Grandma, for this conversation today. 
Um, I always, always love having these conversations and I'm, I, uh, I get giddy when I think about you listener, uh, in the future days, years, months, decades, maybe, I don't know, uh, listening to these words. Um, we're going to call it for today. And next time we meet, whew, it's going to be heavy. We've got the, the craziness of the world that we alluded to today as the central focal piece. Um, and we're going to do a 4th of July episode, so that'll be fun, sort of to mirror our Easter one from a little bit ago. But um, again, thank you, and uh, we will talk to you later. Thank you. <laughs>